take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've got a hot one today. I love these kind of Sundays. After last week, I kind of felt like I probably needed to unpack a little bit my intro to last week. And so I'm going to do that this week and next because it's really just some kind of down and dirty good old Bible teaching. And uh, so I wanna, I'm going to do that this morning because we're going to look at a passage today that is so often misunderstood and unfortunately it's often misapplied. So we're going to talk about that. You know, whenever I talk about marriage and family relationships, you know, people still kind of have a fantasy, don't they? You know, they're kind of waiting for this guy that's going to come riding into town on this great white steed, and he's going to be about six foot four hulk of a guy, everything together. He's going to come riding up and next to you or whoever and dismount all six foot four of them, and he's going to grab you, and he's going to lay a lip lock on you like you have never had. And, and you're just going to go, whoa. And then after you recover from the kiss and this unbelievable man, he's going to jump back up on his horse, and then he's going to swoop down and pick you up and begin to ride off into the sunset with you, take you home. Amen. To, to his castle to clean it. Well, it's probably not really that way, but it happens for some, and it's possible that maybe some of you today would even go, uh, kind of feels like where I am. But I believe when you come to deal with the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives, it's wisdom to be really realistic about it. And the best way to be realistic about it is to come to God's word and say, Lord, we want to learn from you and what you have to say about it. Because see, I'm convinced of this. The way to health is to let the scriptures be the foundation, the focus, the basis, the guide for all of our attitudes and all of our actions. Now, now it's possible, and I understand that in a group this size, that there could be some people here. Maybe you're visiting for the first time, the second time, or maybe you've been here 20 times, but you're still kind of looking at this book and thinking, you know, I, 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 it, it's, it's got some pretty good stuff in it. But it's, you know, it's kind of old, it's archaic, it's got some fables, it's got some stories, and I'm not sure I can bank my life on it. And, and that's all right, because a lot of people have been there, and a lot of people here, though, today would say, I included, say, you know, I've, I've built my life on this, and I've been able to bank on it, and because of that, it's changed my life and given me what I believe to be a very wonderful life compared to where it could be. But that's all right. The only thing I would probably ask you to do today is to listen to the claims, not just today, but in the future as you come, and just consider it, test it, give it a shot. And I would especially say that if maybe your marriage is on the precipice of failure, or maybe you come here today and you look good, but you know there's not some good stuff happening in your home. Maybe it's time to give God's word the opportunity. As I get into this, and we'll be talking in a few weeks to singles specifically. I don't want to, in, I don't want to infer today or insinuate that um, for a man or a woman that marriage is the highest calling. I believe singleness is a wonderful gift if that's what you believe you want to do. So we're not trying to elevate marriage beyond singleness, but we are talking about it today, the roles of the husbands and wife. 
Because God does lead us and call us to get married and enter into these wonderful and powerful relationships. Today we're going to look at the woman's role or the woman's place. So hang with me before you start hearing words and getting, getting kind of defensive, okay? Because I'm going to unpack this for you. And I believe by the time we're done, you're going to go, wow, I, I really didn't understand it that way. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, then we're going to skip down to 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, you have to understand the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters, powerful, precious, wonderful truth about what God did for us. How he responds to us, relates to us, came and died for us, gave his life for us, gives us new life, loves us, accepts us, calls us his sons and daughters. We've been accepted in the beloved, and it goes on and on and on. Talks about our old life, where we come from. But then you get to chapters 4, 5, and 6. It moves from this powerful spiritual things that God's done to really it says this. Because this is what God's done for you, now this is how you live. This is how you walk out and live out what's been done for you in the power of God's life. So I want to just start at verse 1. It says this. Imitate God, therefore, because of everything that's been said and God's done for you, imitate him. It's literally the word that means a mime. It's kind of like whatever he does, you become the reflection of that. And you do what he does in everything you do because you are his dear children. Never forget that. Every one of us is God's child. What an incredible relationship that we can enter into with the living God of this universe. Now that's important because now as you come to verse 21, it says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what he's reminding us of there is, is that we have this, 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 this mutuality of relationship and submission to one another. Why? Because before we talk about husband and wife, we are brother and sister in the Lord. We all stand equal even before the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have been adopted as his sons and daughters into his family. But now he begins to progress in and through this relationships. And he says this. Now for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, when it says the church, really it's, it's talking about people, not a building. But as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should sit to submit to your husbands in everything. Okay, now look up at me. <laughs> Don't be defensive. I, I want to explain something to you about that thing in everything. Now, back in the 70s, the church, they actually used to teach some, not all, but a lot of them really taught everything. Well, my husband's abusing me. Well, honey, just suck it up, pray for him, and stick it out. I don't believe that. I don't believe that here. See, the, the Bible talks about when two people become one flesh. When you get married and you consummate this thing, you literally become one physically. But also there's a, a spiritual part that gets connected as well. That's really a powerful. Later, Paul will say in the chapter we'll talk about next week, it's a mystery how God brings us together into oneness. But hear this. In our oneness, God never diminishes us being one. Do you, do you get that? I'm one with Trina, but Terry isn't diminished, and neither is Trina in the oneness of Terry and Trina. Well, we'll explain that. Well, see, God, Father God, 
They're they're united, they're one. The Trinity is one, and yet they still have three very distinct expressions of who they are. Father God, Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So although they're one, they're the Trinity. They still have three different expressions. And so what, what you need to hear as you listen to that in everything submit, I have counseled with a number of women, and I've literally said, If you are being abused, maybe you need to move out. I encourage you. I've told them to move out. We've paid for their hotel to move out because I don't believe anybody should have to go through that because God never diminishes the one for the oneness. That's not God's character. So we're not talking about that. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. Let's keep going then. Now, See, God deals with marriages as being filled with God's spirit. That's the preamble to when we get down here to these verses. He says in verse 19 that, you know what? When God's spirit comes in you and you respond to Jesus Christ, guess what's going to happen? You're going to begin to sing and rejoice. You're going to become this happier, more joyful person. And then in verse 20, it talks about being thankful for God's goodness and blessings. And you'll be able to look around you. And when everybody else is down in the dumps, you'll be able to say, oh, God, thank you for the way that you've blessed me and given me new life. And then verse 21, it says you're going to begin submitting to one another, being as concerned about others as you are yourself. Now, as you go through the book of Ephesians, because it's really written to the church. I mean, all the Bible is, but this is really a, a, a polemic, a statement to the church on how to live and how to do relationships. And there's two words that are critical as you go through this book, and they're the words authority and submission. These are, these are critical, and without them, a marriage, a family, a home, a life will really have a difficult time functioning with peace and order And really being able to last for the long haul if your life is not bookended with a proper understanding in response to authority and submission. See, we've all seen little tykes, you know, that grow up and they start rebelling at age 10. And then at age 50, they're still going through that and they can't figure out life because they've never learned how to submit in a healthy way to proper authority. Had a gentleman come up to me after first service he said, Pastor, thank you. I knew he wasn't married, and I said, thank you for what? He goes, you really hit it for me. I know where I've got to start working because I've never been able to do that all my life, respond correctly to authority. See, you don't get away from either of these in any sphere of life. And, and how we respond will greatly determine the course of your life and dictate the direction that you'll go. The problem today is, you know what our culture, it says really it doesn't, you don't need to submit. You don't need to be answerable to anything or anybody because you know better. You're smarter. Or some of us feel like we're putting ourselves in an inferior position. That's not true. Submission and authority are two critical pieces to every person's life. So that's where it starts, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We noted last week that before the Lord deals with the focus on husband and wife relationship, you are first and foremost related to that spouse as a brother and sister in the Lord. I tell premarital people this. He says, you know something? Be careful how you treat that daughter or that son. You know why? Because that's God's daughter and that's God's son. 
And that'll make you stop and think just a little bit. Oh, wow, you're kidding. That's right. I'm not taking care of my wife or my husband. This is God's daughter. This is God's son that I've been entrusted with. See, it reminds us that we're brothers and sisters to be mutually submitted to each other. Now, this idea of submission has been applied to a lot of extremes, hasn't it? You could probably, you've probably seen or heard of some. You know, you've got the Tarzan Jane model. You know, me Tarzan, you Jane. I dictate you do, you know? And, and don't do any nudging here because there could be some of that I don't know. But there's also, you know, the, the ones that, you know, um, that, 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 are, that we've seen it with political leaders and spiritual leaders that become literally little dictators, dictating and telling people what to do, how to live. That is not the idea being shared here. Now, see, the, the, the authority here, uh, you have to, we're going to talk about the biblical times here, but the true submission has a softness to it. See, it, it means to give in or give over to, not my life, but it's, I give over, I, I give in at certain points. See, submitted people are not rigid. Submitted people are not abrasive, bitter, or hard. They're open. They can be influenced. And because of who they are, they can influence others because they show value to the people around them. When you speak, I listen. I hear. I respond. That's the attitude that I bring into this relationship. Therefore, if that's my heart, my attitude, there can be this mutual submission with and to one another because I'll receive you. I will be open to you. And if we live out Ephesians 5.21, you will do the same for me. It's not a dominant relationship for either person. Now, you see this in, in the example of the Godhead. See, Genesis 1 in creation, you see God is, a, is an incredible God of order. The Godhead is, is working together in creation. Father God, it's almost like he's overseeing and and taking, overseeing everything that's taken place. Then you have God the Son. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that he speaks creation into existence and he upholds the world, the creation, literally by his word. He spoke it and it stays in place because of the power of his word. So you have the Son doing that. And then it says in Genesis 1.2 that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. So you see the, the triune God working together in creation. Now listen to what 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 3 says. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Do you, do you, do you pick up on the, on the submission there? You're following me, but don't ever forget, I'm following Jesus. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Did you note the order there? See, people say, well, I thought God and Christ were equal. They are. They're all fully God. But we're not talking here about equality. We're talking about a sense of essence and position. And Paul, as he talks here, we see him talking about the understanding of submission that has been established eons ago at the foundation of the world. God set it in motion. Jesus understood his position as the Son before the Father and the Holy Spirit before the Father 
and the Son. Notice what Philippians 2 says about Jesus. Think of yourselves the way Jesus Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't so much... He didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. He took on the status of a slave and he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death. A crucifixion. See, Paul is, is establishing the powerful and precious example of Jesus Christ. See, leadership in the home is based, not, is based on assignment, not ability. It's not based on performance. It's, based, it's not based on being better than. It's based on God's decision and judgment. Now, some will say, well, I do it, Pastor. It's based on the fact that the woman is the weaker vessel. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that, don't you? Yeah, I do. Matter of fact, it says it in 1 Peter 3, 7. Listen to what it says. Listen close. In, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, man, if you want to have a really intelligent discussion uh, about this text, what you'll note is the word weaker. You see, it doesn't say that she's weak. What it's really saying there is we're all weak. We're not strong, and they're weak. We're all weaker. See, what it really is picturing there in the language and a couple of the, in, in the verbiage is it's kind of the difference between a corningware plate and a fine piece of china. We're, we're, we're the corningware. You know, drop us, chip us, and we're, we're, we're not going to break very easily. But we have this beautiful gift, this precious woman. She's like a fine piece of china. We have to honor her, love her, lead her. She's weaker in that way, more delicate. But guys, don't ever forget, we're all weak. And aside from the strength of Jesus Christ in our lives, we really can't become all that God calls us to become. See, unfortunately, there's a lot of men who are threatened by a a woman, a strong woman or strong women who can think and who can reason and give important and weighty input into decisions. See, in God's creative order, order, woman was a force because men men couldn't do it alone. So women are far from weak. God brought them in as a force. He didn't bring them in to simply be our helper. He brought them in to be our completer. And in the process of the creative order, God brought her in to add something to our life. He took something out of us to create a woman. And now let me give you a little bit of a historical background on the passage that we read today. See, people read this and they say, oh, God, man, he's the ultimate chauvinist. Or Paul was the ultimate chauvinist. How could he write that kind of stuff? Nothing is further from the truth. 
because it's how men in their sinful ways have enacted and lived this out. See, during these times that it was written, there was the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks that mostly received the Bible. All of those groups had a very, very low view of women. You were married, your wife was basically there to do a couple of things. Raise your kids and take care of you. That was their vantage, that was their viewpoint. See, woman wasn't so much a person as she was a thing or a possession to be owned. And in those cultures, they had absolutely no legal rights. A common Jewish man's prayer would have gone something like this. God, I thank you today for not making me a Gentile. I thank you for not making me a slave. And I thank you for not making me a woman. See, in the Old Testament, Moses wrote a thing called the Bill of Divorcement. It was the legal way for a, for a husband and wife to divorce. And part of the language of it was that it was done on the basis of uncleanness. Now, whenever you begin to deal with theological matters and theological issues, you know, you have, you have people that are the liberal side, the conservative side, people right up the middle. It's always been that way, always will be. And you kind of have people that want to add to what God has said. Because see, when, 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 when Moses wrote that in Deuteronomy about divorce, it was all about if they commit adultery. That's an unclean thing to do. And once the adultery is committed, but that's not the reason for divorce. The ultimate reason for divorce becomes a hardness of heart, that that heart cannot forgive and release and bring healing and restoration because the hurt becomes so deep. That's really the ultimate reason for divorce. But as happens, there's religious leaders who decided to add to this in that day. Rabbis were very popular. So there was a guy named Rabbi Hillel who said this. You know, I don't really think he meant you get divorced just because of adultery and that's what establishes uncleanness. Let me tell you what establishes uncleanness. So Rabbi Hillel, with his teachers, they begin to write, his followers begin to write these things down. Well, if if he ruins your meal, too much salt burns it, here's your bill of divorcement, honey. You talk negatively about my mother, here's your bill of divorcement. You walk down the street with your head uncovered today and Ishmael saw you, you're gone. Oh, you're going to quarrel and fight with me? Out of here. Just like that. Well, there was another rabbi, Rabbi Akiba. He decided that uncleanness wasn't only adultery, wasn't a bad attitude, a bad meal, bad way to deal with your mother-in-law, It also included if you, as a man, saw a babe, a hummer, a wonderful lady walking down the street that far surpassed your wife, well, just send yours out the back door and bring in the new one in the front. (laughs) Now, I would say that's probably a pretty male-dominated culture, wouldn't you? And that's part of the problem. I'm talking, I said, not led, but dominated. See, that's the context of what Paul is speaking into. Divorce was rampant in those days because men had this free pass anytime, whoever, whenever, for whatever reason they wanted to. But Paul writes to men and women. He says, I want to bring in a new order. I want to bring in a godly lifestyle and a way of relating to each other in marriage that will change the course of your lives. If you study the life of Jesus, do you know how many women followed him? It's because 
Well, he was probably one of the first men they really believed loved him and they could trust. See, Jesus and his team of people ushered in a whole new way of doing relationships. What's interesting, listen, gals, if you think this is hard, wait till I talk to the men next week. (laughs) I I find this kind of interesting that... um, in, in this passage of Ephesians 5, 21 to the end, guess what? Paul writes 183 words to the man, 62 to the woman. So next week will be fun. Let me tell you about submission. Submission is about alignment. See, submission isn't being subservient, but it has to do with being alignment with in step with. And in the Bible, it's really, it's a military idea where the battle plan is drawn up and troops are dispatched to an area where they enact a battle plan that's been established. See, the Holy Spirit, I believe, inspired Paul to use this word because it has to do with understanding each of our position and placement in the marriage. And the idea of submission is that it it's a, it speaks of a voluntary allegiance, voluntary allegiance and cooperation to support not only the leader, but the plan. And that's a, the military language here has not been placed to suggest that marriage should be a constant war or battle, or that there's a general standing there barking out the orders and telling everybody what to do. Uh, not at all. But remember last week when I talked about a man leading and giving vision and hope for a preferable future to his wife, to his family. That's really part of it. It's part of the man being able to sit down together as husband and wife, and what do they do? They enact a plan, a battle plan together. They align together where they're going, where their family is going, what their family is going to be all about. See, the submission here responds to a husband's loving and thoughtful leadership. Why? Because he's responding to a thoughtful, loving God. And sometimes that's where the breakdown can begin to happen. See, the wife isn't brought under submission or authority by anybody. That's never taught anywhere in the Scripture. What is taught that this is an intelligent choice and decision to say, honey, I chose you. I love you. I want to align my life with you. It is something you do. It is not done to you. And see, this is where the misunderstanding and misapplication oftentimes comes. When I was in, when I was in college, I played basketball, and guys would understand this term. I was kind of a gunner. I mean, I shot all the time. Never met a shot I didn't like, and, but I was a decent shooter. So at the end of the games, number of times, you know, there'd be time left on the few seconds left, 10, 15 seconds left, and we'd call a timeout, and coach would say, okay, Riley, we're going to work this play for you and get over in the corner, and somebody will set a screen, you'll get the ball. Well, one time, we just did this, and this guy, he got the ball. I was wide open. The play was working perfectly, but he decided to take the shot. Totally missed it. I jumped all over him, and the coach jumped all over him, but we lost. I'm not saying we would have won if I had a shot, but he didn't do the play. 
that would have probably given us the best shot to win. Can I tell you what happens? That's kind of what happens in marriages. All of a sudden, people begin to think, someone, one or both, I can do this on my own. I don't need to follow the plays. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to become independent in this process. And that's where you begin to see a lot of marriages break down. That's why I said last week, it's so imperative, important, that the couple, individually and together, grow up and mature together. Because, see, over time, little things begin to happen. And pretty soon, the man doesn't want to listen to his wife. So what does she begin to do? She pushes back by beginning to start nagging and pushes him further and further away. And he doesn't want to plan life and do life together with her because he just assumed bury himself in front of the newspaper, the TV, or some other kind of outside pursuit. And what does that do? That just frustrates the woman more because the husband isn't listening and isn't dialing into her. And she is, and then he's no longer giving her something to align with and to grow together in. Let me close with a few principles. Number one, for some of you today, it might be time to sit down and plan. This is premarital 101 for me. I talk to every premarital couple and I say things like this. Do you have a plan? What's your plan for your family? And then we begin to talk about what that means. See, Proverbs 20:18 says this. Plans are established by counsel. That means with someone or a group. By wise counsel, you wage war. Now, again, it's not about a fight, but it's about being able to go out. Listen, it's a tough world that we live in. Uh, Even Christian families are falling by the wayside like crazy. People going through multiple divorces. Families break, incinerating, and and disintegrating. It's because they don't have a plan, they don't have a purpose, they don't know what they're going to do. So, this is my question Do you have a plan? that you both are submitting to, talking about? Did you have a plan for your finances? Let's face it, that's going to be a major battle for some people because, well, I just let her do it. That's fine as long as you know what's going on. I just let him do it. That's fine as long as you know what's going on because then you don't have these big surprises. Do you have a plan for your children? What are you going to expect from your children growing up? Do you have a plan for, for your church life and your spiritual commitments? I mean, is church just going to kind of be a, oh, kind of get there when we can, just kind of, you know, whatever? Or do you have a plan that says, you know something, we're going to be people that are committed to what God calls us to do. We're going to give our life. We're going to be involved. We're going to love people. We're going to share life. We're going to get into this kind of mutual submission relationship. We're giving to people and people are giving to us. Do you have a plan on how you make decisions as a family? as a married couple? If not, how can you not expect to face problems? See, Ephesians 5 and 6, we see the mutual submission, the, 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 the relationship to the wife to the husband, the husband to the wife, and then it moves into the children to the parents, and then it moves into employer and employee, and then guess what it drops into? Spiritual warfare. Do, do you think it's any kind of surprise that after all these relationship examples that Paul gives, that it wouldn't end with spiritual warfare? Because most of our warring comes through our relationships. And if there's nothing else that God, that the enemy of your soul wants to do is to pick off a marriage here, pick off a marriage there. 
I was just thinking about this after last service. Creekside, you know, uh, people were downtown and yesterday at a thing, and people know what's going on at Creekside. People go, yeah, I go to Creekside. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Can you imagine pretty soon people begin to hear about Creekside, Creekside, and then all of a sudden they hear you getting picked off by the enemy. Ah, oh, yeah, we're going to get divorced. And I'm not here to, to, to bash anybody. Listen, I understand how those things happen. That's, but, but, but this whole passage... The book of Ephesians is about your life, your marriage, your employee relationship. It's all about preaching to the people around you what God has done in you. And we give up. We don't follow God's plan on how to make it work. So maybe some of you, it's time to sit down and make a plan instead of just giving up. Secondly, the marriage union wasn't established for competition with one another, but for completion in one another. So you can become together what you can never become separately. Remember, God created Eve when? Right after Adam was naming the animals. And God was, I believe, doing that. Because remember, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he said, it is not good. For what? man to be alone. So he puts, he puts Adam in this fast track. And I don't know how it went, but I can just imagine he's bringing these animals and he goes, platypus. Yeah, platypus. Oh, sweet dog. Giraffe. Hamster. You know, I don't know. I don't know the process. But see, all of a sudden, as he's, as he's going and naming all these animals and probably petting them, There's not one of them that looks him eye to eye. There's not one of them that becomes a mirror of who he is. So what does God do? God says, okay, I'll take care of this. And when he begins, he he anesthetizes him. Puts him down. Takes a bone out of his rib. And begins to fashion the first ten. Think about it. She is not a fallen woman. And if you think you've ever seen a beautiful woman, so all of a sudden, he's down and out, and God goes, Whoa, man, look at this. Can you, can you imagine that? And that's where we get the word woman. So I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but I could imagine that because I could go, whoa, God, thank you. But see, he brings him this woman alongside of him to be this beautiful, wonderful companion and completer. But see, unfortunately, couples begin to compete with one another instead of understanding God brought them together to complete. Now hear me, see, the focus of submission, listen to this. The focus of submission is not top-down hierarchy. Get the picture of AT&T. Remember those power bars? They're in alignment, standing alongside each other. You have Jesus Christ, the head of the church and the man. Then you have the man. Then a little bit smaller, you have the woman. A little bit smaller, the children. What do those bars represent? Power. How much power do you have? 
And see, when you begin to operate on the basis of power that way, in alignment, so that when God created Eve, and now Adam, he's not just looking at the animal kingdom, he's looking at the completion of who he is. Makes a big difference. Because then he's going to begin to treat her the way Jesus would. And she's going to begin to respect him, submit to him, respond to him the way Jesus would, she would do it for Jesus. That's God's goal. That's God's ideal. That's what he's talking about here. But that only happens if you go into this thing to understand that you can be completed. See, ladies, let me just, I didn't say this last service, but this is important. God took something out of the man so that it would be in you so you come and complete him, and he completes you of the wholeness of the stuff you don't have from him. So don't ever expect that man to meet every one of your needs. And men, don't expect her to meet every one of your needs. That's why we have Jesus Christ. He begins to fill in the blanks as we grow together to learn to meet more and more of our needs. But see, God brought, created, that we see eye to eye, not look down on or look up to, but look face-to-face. That's the relationship. I see, over the years, it's been such a joy for me to see Trina grow and blossom. Do you realize that when I started dating her when she was 18 years old, she was very shy. We would go into a room, and she would depend on me to take her around, introduce her, and kind of be the front person. Now, she goes into a room, and I follow her, you know? And she's kind of the, the, the glow and the shine and, the, and what everybody, you know, kind of is attracted to. That has happened over time because we've been able to grow together. This is what I've learned. My wife is one of the strongest people I know. What I have worked years to grow and groom as a leader just happens for her. She's read one book on leadership. I've probably read 25, and she's a much better leader leader than I am. And I love it. This is the life principle that I have learned about her and I, and I really believe it's for every marriage. This is the principle. I don't want a weaker woman. I want to be a stronger man. I don't want to weep. I love it that she has blossomed into this incredible woman of strength and power and dynamic. But because of where God wants me to be, I've just got to be a stronger man that's growing in my leadership and my love so that she'll continue to follow me. And in the midst of her following me, she has incredible freedom to become everything she wants to be and needs to be. See, men, it's not about having weaker women. It's about being stronger men. I want to tell you, a true leader is one who's always being led and is always in submission to someone. You know, people kid me all the time, not all the time, but frequently, oh, boy, pastor, I bet it's a great pastor in that church. Well, it is. But yeah, you get to call all the shots. You know, you get to take whatever time off you, blah, blah, blah. Really? <laughs> I'm submitted to 600 people, basically. I answer to just about everybody at different levels. I have great freedom, but within that freedom, there are still boundaries. And that's the way life operates best, 
is that there is a submission, an accountability, and authority that works together. See, a true leader is one who's always in submission. Men, this is my question for you. Are you growing in Jesus? Are you learning of him? Are you listening to him through his word and through his spirit because you're training yourself to hear what he would speak to you? See, if you're learning from Jesus, you're going to be growing and maturing. And I'll tell you, this is what will begin to happen. As you love your wife, you won't need to demand from her. If you're listening to Jesus and you listen to her, you won't need to dictate to her. If you are leading and being led by Jesus and you're leading the way he would, you'll never have to dominate your spouse because you'll begin to do it the Jesus way. Oh, it won't be perfect. None of us are, but you will continually be growing in doing that. Let me give you a metaphor that I oftentimes use in a marriage ceremony, but it speaks so clearly to this, completing one another. A good marriage has a pattern or a rhythm. It's like a dance. It's built on some of the same principles. The partners don't need to hold each other tightly because they move competently in the same pattern. Well, it's, it's intricate, but it's gay. It's swift, yet it's free. And there's no place for a possessive clutch. No place for a clinging arm or a heavy hand. Only the barest of touch is pa- in passing is needed. It's arm in arm, then face to face, now back to back. As partners move to the same rhythm, creating a pattern together, and they're being visibly nourished by it. See, when the heart is flooded with love, there's no room for fear. There's no place for doubt. There's no sense of hesitation. It's this lack of fear that makes the dance. See, when each partner loves completely and is moving to the music and rhythm that God has created, only then can two people truly dance in unison through life. See, what does a great dance require? Choreographer, someone who sets up the steps, the movements, pays attention, and then it's the responsibility of the couple to make sure they listen and fulfill and follow through on the direction of the choreographer. It requires mutual submission to that choreographer to stay in sync so you don't end up going your own direction. See, that's what's God's ultimate for us. People say, well, Terry, what's, what's the key to you and Trina? You seem pretty happy. We are, and we've had our stuff in the past, nothing big, but a few blips. You know what it is? This is what I tell everybody. We have found our rhythm. We have very clear roles in our marriage. They're they're, they're not even spoken anymore. They just happen. You know why? Because we have worked out alignment and mutual submission. I will say this, and I'm going to challenge the men with, I'll say it next week. I'll let that go. (laughs) Last thing is this, you're never more like Jesus than when we live out this principle together in our relationships. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything. 
so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Jesus gets worshiped, but who gets the glory? The Father. See, that's the rhythm of everything working together. And Jesus says, take it, Father. Take it, take it. I'm following your lead. Have you, have you ever seen anything with two heads? It, it's a monster. It's a freak. It's weird. And it always works against the body, doesn't it? Because you've got two heads trying to go two different ways. Ultimately, it really can't exist. Ultimately, there'll be times when there has to be one head. And people that, and married couples that find their rhythm and they live with love and mutual submission that never becomes a problem, who is the ultimate leader? Because love has led, trust is built. And you find your rhythm to enjoy life and marriage under God's canopy. As the worship team comes, I just, I'm going to talk to men next week. I'm going to challenge your socks off because I don't think there's anything harder than to try and live up to the ideal of who Jesus is. But can I tell you something? There's nothing more freeing and nothing greater than when we do that to the best of our ability and we become more like Jesus every day you will have the happiest wife in the whole wide world. People, the happiest marriages I see are the men who are becoming like Jesus and women who trust that. The breakdown happens, and I just uh, don't nudge anybody, but I'll tell you what. I'll bet there's women sitting here right now saying, I wish my husband would become more like Jesus so I could trust him. I wish my husband would lead, step up, and lead, not dominate, not dictate. Just lead me. Lead me to Jesus. Let me know where we're going, how we're going to live life, and I'll follow you. And men, if, if you're there today, I want to challenge you. Come talk to me. Because you will never be able to become a man of God until you are around, I mean, most of us, until we learn how to be around and learn from men of God who are doing the same stuff and growing. Your wife desires that, and she deserves it, because that's what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. If you're married, you have your spouse here, would you take their hand? Maybe just turn to them and say, I'm just so glad I'm here with you today. And wait till you get out of the car to talk about anything I said. (laughs) I want to pray over you. I, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your word that helps us discern and decipher this thing called life and marriage and relationships. They're great at their best, dicey, usually awful when it's bad. And I pray over our couples right now that we would do kind of like what Ephesians talks about, that we would be the proclamation 
of your life and what you've done in us because of how we live before the people around us. I pray, Lord, every marriage at Creekside would begin to be filled with the joy and the love and the mutual submission and accountability and health that you intended for them to be. Oh, we're so imperfect. But God began to work in us. I pray for every man today, Lord, give them the strength and the courage to stand up, not to just be men, but to be men of God. Lord, raise up women who don't have to demand their way, but they simply learn to pray for and believe in their husband and speak love and respect to them and give it to them as they would unto you. So, Lord, begin to work in us. And thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.